You're listening to Our Stories, the Australian Army on Operations podcast. This is Task Group Taji Rotation 4, a combined force of Australian and New Zealand military personnel that's about to deploy to Iraq to train Iraqi security forces. And as you can hear behind me here, everyone's getting ready for their farewell parade out on the parade ground here at the barracks in Darwin. And with me, I've got a member of health company with Task Group Taji 4, who's from New Zealand. And last week, we talked to two of her colleagues. And so this week, we're gonna find out more about how the New Zealanders are integrating into the task group. So first of all, tell us a bit about your role here with Task Group Taji 4. My main role is, is force health protection, so I will look after the health of the mission members and then make sure they all receive and come home safe. Because over the last few weeks, as we've been preparing to deploy, there's been lots of medicals and lots of checks and all that kind of thing, and you've been part of that? I have helped out with that as well, but the main thing that I've been looking after is making sure that the disease vectors within the camp itself doesn't reach our Taji members. So integrating with and working with our local contractors to make sure that none of that carries on into the theatre itself. So you're there to ensure that we don't get sick basically, that we don't all catch the flu for example? Absolutely, so my job is to make sure that nothing happens to our task force members and that we get there safely, soundly and we can get ready to win operations. So during the last few weeks we've obviously been preparing to deploy and as well as having medical checks and all that kind of stuff there's been lots of training going on. Have you had a role in that training? Yes, so I've been given a number of roles within the task unit itself so I've been really privileged with that and learning how the processes work with the Australian Army as well as how that can meet a middle mark between the New Zealanders and Australians and then get our um, playbook ready and how we're going to work in operations. It's exciting to see we're working really well together and integration's working well as well. Tell us more about that then because you talk about the importance of integration of the New Zealanders in the task group with the Australians. So what are the similarities then perhaps in terms of how the New Zealand Defence Force does health and how the Australians do it in the Australian Army? We're really lucky that we have a long history of working together. It is a stretching back to the World War Ones, World War Twos. So we have a common ground already and we already know that we have to work together. So a lot of our SOPs and a lot of our doctrine already work together. So it's all it is, is coming together and figuring out what works, what doesn't work, who has weaknesses, who has strengths, combining that with a great team effort. And then once we come at the end of the MRE, what we have done here, we've got a great team dynamic and we know what we're doing. You talk about a team dynamic, so how has that come across? I mean, what kinds of relationships have you built up, for example, in the group of men and women that you're working with? When you come from a different culture and a different country and you come into one that you think that is foreign, but then at the end of the week you end up becoming best friends, you know how each other works, you know how each other lives, you're basically living each other's pocket anyway. So that great dynamic is that we're all there for each other, we become teammates. So that doesn't really differentiate between the countries at the moment and that's a really good sign of integration. Teammates, that's an interesting <laughs> idea and you say about the fact that you're literally living and yep. working in each other's pockets. So what's that like? It's just like living with your brothers and sisters and it's great 
you've got someone who will have your back whatever you need and someone who will carry your bags if you need help with them it's someone that can train you it's someone that will give you the advice that you need it is someone that will help you do your job to the best of your ability that's what a teammate is and then it's stretched more than cohesion this it's just a great team all over. Mm. I can tell that you're obviously feeling <laughs> like you've made some great friends here already before oh, you even deploy. Yeah, we haven't even left and we already can't wait to get into theatre to work with each other. I mean, we've started off with a great foundation already with our backgrounds through the wars and then that commonality between the two of us is just solidified here. So we're really lucky we've got a great team going and good leadership as well. Have you worked with Australians before? All of my trade courses are done here anyway, so I'm really lucky I've already got that background and that network happening. So I already know how they work, what the SOPs are, what your doctrines are, so I'm really lucky in that respect. And I also know how to culturally communicate across that. Um, and that's helped bring the team together as well. So we all have done that before, and it's paid off in dividends that we've done that. It's interesting you mentioned that cultural kind of yeah. difference. So in what way are you picking up that there perhaps are these cultural differences between Australians and New Zealanders? Well, we've got to bring up rugby at some stage. <laughs> but as New Zealanders, we play the Australians. It always makes us really proud because that's one of the top games that we always look forward to. It's one of the annual events is playing the Australians. But as soon as Australian plays everybody else, we're always backing the Australians. So it, it's kind of like, yes, we've got your back, but when it comes between us, we know it's going to be on the field. <laughs> Sounds like there's a bit of uh, friendly rivalry that goes on as well then. Absolutely. Competition builds great teams. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit more about your preparation for this deployment, perhaps in terms of your training that you must have undertaken over a number of years to become an environmental tech in health company. Yeah, so we do a lot of the environmental health trade courses here in Australia. Um, once you do all that, you also have a lot of outside and contractors that come in and train you up to advanced sergeant's level. Once we do that, when we're preparing for PDT or coming into the deployments itself, we have to be selected and tested to make sure that they have the right people to go. And so once that team is selected, because you have two, that usually starts in August. So we've been going for a number of months now. And you're an expert then in diseases and infection, are you? How would you describe it? I'm an all-rounder. I am the person that looks after your messes, the food, quality. I'm the person that makes sure everybody washes their hands and doesn't spread disease. I'm also the person that makes sure that chemical tests are done well. I work in the labs that monitor water so that everybody has safe healthy water to drink. I'm also the one that does the assessments, a tier one assessments, which is identification of hazards and risks. And it just goes on and on. It's quite a big job. <laughs> you mentioned about the quality of the water. Mm -hmm. As we've been training here in Darwin, yeah. that's been crucial because mm -hmm. it's so hot and humid here. I mean, we're standing here today under these huge fans behind us here just to try and get a bit of air. Mm -hmm. And the amount of water that people get through in a yeah. day, it's crucial that it is good quality water. Yes, that's exactly right. But then also the good quality water, but the amount of water is readily available. So we make sure that we monitor it. We're lucky we're in a training environment where that is happening. But 
When I've worked in the humanitarian aid and disaster relief missions that I've done a lot of, when you're getting into the high temperature areas, high humidity areas, you're going to expect that everybody is going to be drinking a lot of water. You need to make sure that we have that amount readily available to them so that they don't suffer from heat stress. You mentioned you've worked on previous missions then. Tell us a bit more about your deployment experience. My first exposure was in 2011 with the Christchurch disaster. It was unintentional for us to be in there and quite literally by accident. We had sailed into Port Littleton and we were just picking up vehicles. We were only supposed to be there for two days and the earthquake happened. I deployed directly into Littleton Harbour two hours later. The jetty that we attached to had come away from the wharf itself. We were really lucky not to have lost all our vehicles that were sitting on the wharf. But then we were able to stabilise the town of Littleton from that. That Later that night when the green light was given from the government, we were able to surge into town and from there we started stabilising the centre of Christchurch and we worked on the CTV building while we were there. Two weeks later I started working as environmental health tech and working with the local councils to track chlorine levels going into the water, making sure people had good water. That was my first experience of environmental health and it was quite literally by accident. <laughs> From then I've deployed into the Solomon Islands, Vanuatu and earlier this year Fiji, doing exactly the same thing, making sure our soldiers got home safe to their families. One of the things that we have is the Humanitarian Aid and Disaster Reliefs, or the HADRs, and one of the most dangerous to our personnel. We have to make sure that everything around them is safe enough to work in so we don't return them with legacy issues to their families, and that's our number one priority. What incredible experiences you've had there. I mean, in particular, the earthquake. Were you in Christchurch then when the earthquake hit? Yes, we had just sailed in. We were stopped for lunch and they were loading vehicles and our labs into the, the ship itself in the HMNZ's Canterbury. We were, again, quite literally by accident, they had seven seats available left on the ship itself and we were seven in our medical section. So they asked us if we wanted to be on that. We all said, yes, we'll go because to be on the first tap into Christchurch. We didn't know we were going. We were going south to Timaru, I think it was. And then at 11.52, the earthquake hit and from there, we had engineers, logistics, we had medic team quite by accident on board, we had our soldiers, we had our tanks, our vehicles, and then all of that got surged into Christchurch and we helped stabilise Christchurch from there. Do you remember the moment the earthquake hit? Absolutely. <laughs> because we were craning vehicles onto the ship itself. We thought somebody had dropped a vehicle and then, but it, the shaking never stopped. So we thought this is something different and then we were all in the mess, we are all very hungry. I was just about to get to the line after the earthquake hit, they all started closing up the shutters and everybody had to bomb burst back to their houses or their um, mess decks and then stay there for a couple of hours before they stabilised. Within 10 minutes of the earthquake, the ship's captain came across the radio and told us exactly what the situation was. So you thought they dropped a vehicle <laughs> and you felt the shaking and then you realised it was an earthquake? Yeah, exactly. We didn't realise how bad it was because we were on the sea until the ship's captain came over and said the number of dead people, um, the disaster, how much damage there was inside the city itself. It was just one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life and I don't think I'll ever forget seeing what I did. 
but I do believe from that resilience of Christchurch, we've learned how to be resilient ourselves. And that's, I think, where my passion again for environmental health came in because we were able to provide them with the very basics, making sure they had good quality water, making sure we had people there to provide meals from them via the HMNZ's Canterbury for up to two weeks. They were able to provide petrol for the township of Port Littleton and we were able to provide stabilisation for Christchurch and the city centre itself. So we were, quite by accident, <laughs> very lucky to have that and we were just grateful to be able to help in some way. And you're bringing all those <laughs> fantastic skills with yep. Task Group Taji 4 now to Iraq. Yep. My passion is for helping people. I come from a family of Vietnam veterans and our passion is to make sure that our soon-to-be vets all come home safe to our families and that's exactly what my number one role is. And so as the health unit is whoever deploys, I hope that the families know that we've got this. You're looking forward to going, aren't you? Yeah. I'm actually excited to go. It'll be great to be able to provide some assistance in a, in a country that needs it. So whatever little that we can provide as part of a larger team, we're absolutely thrilled and proud to be able to do it. Thank you very much for joining us today. This is Captain Sharon Maskeldare reporting from Task Group Taji, Rotation 4. This podcast is produced by the Australian Army and is copyright the Commonwealth of Australia.